Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thank you for joining us for ASHP's Practice Journey podcast. This podcast invites members to share their stories about their professional path, lessons learned, and how their experiences shaped who they are and where they are today. My name is Maggie Kranz, and I am a PGY2 HSPAL resident here at Allegheny General Hospital in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Today, we will be chatting with Sundeep and Austin about strategies to maintain well-being and resiliency as a preceptor. Thank you so much for joining us today. Before we get started, let's get to know our speakers a little bit. Sandeep, do you want to introduce yourself? Hello, my name is Sandeep Devbakhtaniya. I'm an associate professor at the University of Maryland School of Pharmacy. I practice in the area of cardiology and work in the outpatient heart transplant clinic. I also serve as the director of postgraduate training and oversee our pharmacy residency and fellowship programs here. And my name is Austin Green. I am an outgoing PGY-1 ambulatory care HIV resident and incoming HSPAL resident uh, PGY-2 at UC Davis Health in Sacramento, California. To get us started for today, to bring us into our first topic, um, how have you, how have your mentors modeled the type of well-being you are striving for? If so, how did you find mentors? It's a great question. I was fortunate um, to identify someone in my residency training and um, I actually was have the opportunity to work with her again when I came back here to become a faculty member. So I, it was really easy for me to find a mentor. And the reason why this person, um, she was she's a faculty member here as well at University of Maryland. Um, her name is Dr. Kristen Watson. Um, she was a very big inspiration for me because uh, she's a mom of uh, three boys. What two of them are twins, and she also has a dog in her life. Uh, she's always valued her family in addition to, but she also really cared about her job, very passionate. She's one teacher of the year for the students and so on. So she do she does a fantastic job with, uh, with her both her professional career and her home life. And so I've always been struck by that because I, I know I've not been the best at learning how to do my work-life balance. And I know that's not the greatest term of using it, but just to keep out your personal and professional goals, that's kind of the get there. And I the reason why she really is so struck for me was that she's always made a consistent effort to keep her family as her first priority. And I've been very impressed with that. And she still managed to get everything done. She's very organized, but she always would make sure to keep her weekends free for her family and uh, try to turn off work after hours, except for maybe once in a while. And she makes sure to shut off her email and everything. So it's definitely been a big influence in my life. And so I would, I encourage you to find a mentor in your life that will inspire you like that. Yeah, that's a wonderful experience and person to look to when you're looking to develop your own well-being strategy. I know um, when I was applying for HSPAL residency, I was emailing people trying to get to know some leaders in the area. And one person, I was trying to have a conversation with them and I suggested an after hours time and she emailed me back and said, no, I never meet after hours. Um, that time is for me, that time's for me and my family. And I was also just so struck by that. I thought that's such a rare thing to see, especially in health system leadership and pharmacy. Um, but I think that's wonderful that she has developed some sort of model for herself to be able to shut things down after hours. 
Um, of course, wellness and residency sometimes are a little bit of an oxymoron. So during my residency, I do try to be protective of some of my weekends off, especially in my first year when I was working every other weekend. Um, so when I was in my first year, I made sure that I had some sort of structure that I was shutting down work. I left my work computer uh, here at the office and made sure that I had some sort of way that if people were trying to reach out to me for anything, for patient care, for a management issue, that there was an out of office on my email or some way that they could contact someone else um, if they had that issue so that I had that protected time. There are so many resources and so many people that have different well-being and wellness models that you can look to. Um, what resources do you utilize or recommend for learners to maintain well-being and resilience? I agree. There's a lot of resources out there and it can be hard to navigate through it. So I recommend a couple of major resources that are national recommendations that you would start off with first before you look into other ones. And your institution may have their own resources, to be honest with you, because this has been such a hot topic um, over the last couple of years. But the two that I'm talking about are, the first one is actually offered by ASHP. They have their own well-being page for, to help clinicians with well-being and resilience. They also have developed a state affiliates toolkit to help each of the states in being able to implement it across the, through the nation. And so you may be able to find some great resources through there. And they also part are a sponsor of the National Academy of Medicine, which has their own major focus on clinician well-being and resilience. So, so those are the two organizations that I would definitely check out when it comes to looking at resources. ASHP also is offering a podcast series, which is exciting to kind of really helps both preceptors, new practitioners, and learners in learning about well-being and giving strategies in different various areas of how to manage your life. So I recommend taking advantage of that as well with this one. I think it's important to, to look at those resources, but also to kind of come up with your own goal, personal goals. One of the things that we've done at University of Maryland for our residents and fellows is we asked them at the beginning of their training year to develop two to three personal goals that they want to accomplish during the year training. And this is really going to be entirely up to you because each one of you are going to have different interests. If you are really enjoy reading, maybe you can plan to have a goal where you have read one book for the next three months. And that, 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 so to figure out what your goals will be for the year and then make sure that you're keeping accountable for those goals. What we've done here is we've asked our program director to incorporate this into the quarterly evaluation. They already meet with the residents quarterly. And so this is an item on their agenda to kind of talk with the residents and find out what their progress is on their goals. So find that accountability to make sure that you're achieving those goals. Yes, those are some, first of all, great resources. And then it's great to make sure that we have that system of accountability built in for making sure that we're meeting some of these personal goals that we're setting. I know going into residency, I had my one big overarching goal, which was to not burn out by the end of residency. But then I tried to set some more personal actionable goals too. So I really wanted to make sure I got my guideline recommended 150 minutes of exercise during the week. I also wanted to make sure that I did have some time set aside for me because I actually am somebody who does like reading. So I wanted to make sure I had like an annual goal set for what my reading should look like through the year. I knew I'd have some months that are a little bit busier than others. So I kind of built in some buffer for that too. 
Um, but all of those things helped me to get through. And then having co-residents is really helpful because you kind of have somewhat of a built-in accountability system. If you're able to talk to them about some of these things that um, you let them know that these are important to you and then they can help, uh, help to keep you accountable for some of these goals that you have set as well. Now, I know that with all these resources, not every resource works well for everyone. So how did you find the resources that you currently use and how did you realize that they were working? I agree that there's just so many resources out there that it's really hard to figure out which ones are the right ones for you. Um, I, th I don't think you should stress about trying to look at every single resource that's out there, whether, whether it's with ASHP or National Academy of uh, um, Medicine. Really, these are just there for your own benefit. You can use them to what you think will help you. What really what I advise you to do is really think about First of all, like self-reflect on your um, what you think is important in your life. Really, each person is going to have such an individual need, so you really shouldn't be comparing yourself to other people what they need because they're going to have different set of priorities. So really, self-reflect and determine what you want to focus on. What I recommend is kind of to determine what your priorities are, what both for personal and for professional um, priorities. And then also thinking about what your strengths and possible passions that you have in life and what you know has helped to relieve your stress. Really it's important to, know, to reflect on what you think are the factors that are causing you to be overwhelmed. And then what also, what, what activities will help you to relieve the stress, whether it's yoga or doing exercise. So it's important to really think about those first. And then you can use those, what your needs are to help you guide you on determining what the resources that you should use. That will help you determine how it can help you to identify that passion or that stress reliever that you need in life. So I would recommend you to try that strategy first and go for that and try to figure that out. And then um, and see if they work for your well-being. If that doesn't work, certainly you can try other strategies that are offered through the resources. It's gonna be a little bit of trial and error as you work through this. Absolutely. And I love that suggestion to really self-reflect and consider what is causing you the most stress to really help narrow that like vast array of resources that are out there. Um, I loved Austin's example of that exercise. I think that's a really awesome way to make sure that you're setting aside time for yourself during residency. Um, one thing that I have identified for myself that I really work on um, is making sure that I have good sleep hygiene and getting a good night's sleep at night because that is really my time. That is the time that I get away from the office and hopefully not dreaming about work and residency and everything. Um, and one thing that I have I, uh, that I've used quite a bit is the Headspace app. They have some great sleep meditations and that really allows me to unwind, forget what the day looks like and all the things that are making me anxious, stressing me out, and just make sure that I have a good night's sleep to move into the rest of the day. Um, and it's, it's a little bit easier to think about your own wellness and try to incorporate as many factors into your lifestyle that help to give yourself a personal sense of wellness, but it's tough when there's not a sense of wellness overall in your workplace. So how have you seen well-being of coworkers promoted in the workplace? I think that's a great point. Um, that is also need to be promoted during the wall, um, workplace. And we're fortunate here at University of Maryland that our leadership really does value our well-being. 
And I've noticed that because of them being willing to promote it, our, it definitely has impacted our productivity. So I do, do think it's important to ask that question, does that institution um, promote your well-being? And yes, we do have quite a few opportunities here that help to promote our well-being. For example, they have offered so many wellness programs here, whether it's from meditation or yoga or some of the other strategies that you can use to relieve your stress. That's been a big focus they've had. And this is great for trainees too. They offer it to trainees and also any practitioner who needs it. There's also the opportunity for mental health coaching for those who would, would like to have more individual attention as opposed to going through a program for the um, general program. Then there's also the opportunity to go to a crisis center for those who are having a hard time coping, especially during this pandemic and um, or just from a job related stress. There's certainly an opportunity to be able to go and talk to someone at the crisis center. So I've been fortunate that we've been having all these resources here and it really does make me proud to work here knowing that they value the employee's well-being for sure. But so I do think it's important to consider that when you're looking for jobs. Yeah, I definitely think that those are some fantastic examples of how they're able to really implement all of these well-being initiatives. So I think that that's fantastic that it's also being taken kind of from the top down with leadership involvement too. Um, at UC Davis Health, I feel like we are very fortunate to also have a similar sort of situation where we have all these wonderful resources for our well-being. So they just recently implemented a CE series where we're putting a focus on well-being and resilience and making sure that people are aware of what that means and how we can actually maintain that and help to avoid burnout. So I thought that that was a really good innovative new idea that they had implemented. Um, and then also they try to make things interactive with everybody. So we had a wellness challenge that had lasted several months where everybody within the Department of Pharmacy, technicians, learners, residents, um, just everybody are able to participate and be able to have like fitness challenges, dietary um, challenges, all of the above so that we can keep each other accountable and have like a larger system of people who are all going for those same sorts of goals. So that was something that I thought was absolutely excellent that we were doing, but that's definitely a lot of what we're able to do on our side of things. And I know that there's a whole new set of stressors when it comes to our learners too. So how can you promote learner well-being during a rotation experience? I think that's a very important point um, because uh, learners don't know to ask these questions. So you really do need to set that expectation for them. So what my, my advice here is making sure that you set expectations for the learner at the beginning of the rotation up front because the learners need to know what exactly is expected of them during that rotation. So this should include the, how, the work hours, the patient workload, and any assignments that will be accomplished for the rotation. Also, I would advise you to make sure that your, um, the, the expectations that are set for the learner are realistic. Please don't expect that the learner um, creates a presentation for an in-service next day. While they probably could do this in the next day, it's going to cause them a lot of unnecessary stress. 
So really think about, is it really necessary for you to have them do this in service for the team um, the next day, as opposed to doing it a week later, so that the, the learner can have time in order to prepare appropriately. So really think about those expectations and make sure that they're realistic for the learner. And then really, just not only should you be setting the expectation, you should also be discussing the well-being throughout the rotation on a regular basis. And it doesn't have to be a formal discussion. Really, it can be as simple as just asking them, what are you doing this weekend to relax? And making sure that they're actually taking time off and not doing work um, for during, uh, during the weekend time, or at least dedicate some part of their weekend to uh, being able to relax. And also, you can ask questions about what they've been showing interest in or what their passions are. Like I've asked a learner of mine, have you been able to read that book that you mentioned at the beginning of the rotation on the weekends or something like that? So I think it's important that you show interest in their well-being. And by just doing the simplest thing, by asking questions about their lives and trying to engage on what, what, what they're interested in. Yeah, I think it's so important to be deliberate with having those wellness conversations um, and promoting it in a way that is, is clear to the learner that you are valuing their wellness and their well-being. And often I love the way you framed this question because there's so much going on in a lot of our learners' lives. Um, and they are going through their own life stressors. A lot of our students that are on rotation are thinking about their next job or thinking about residency and trying to plan for all of that and our residents on rotation thinking about a PUI two year or considering their next job. So there's a lot of opportunity to really ask them about those things, ask them how they're going, ask them how you can support them and hopefully promote that wellness and give them an avenue to discuss those uh, opportunities for them. So there's a lot of burnout and a lot of risk of burnout that are happening um, with our new practitioners and our seasoned practitioners. So what risks do you see new practitioners putting themselves through that can lead them down this path of burnout? Yes, I agree with you. Unfortunately, I do see burnout, especially in the new practitioners after residency training has happened, because almost anyone can do one or two years of really intense pressure, right? But the question is, can you do that? Is it sustainable to do that over a five-year time frame? Probably not, right? And I think people forget that when they're starting their jobs as new practitioners, because unfortunately, we don't do a very good job of communicating this to people who are finishing training. And uh, there's a lot of excitement, right? You still have, uh, you're young and you still have a lot of energy and you wanna be able to accomplish all these things, the great things. So I think that's where the problem comes. It's that excitement and no one really guiding them on how to channel that um, energy that they have with this one here. And I think that's been the, the biggest is the pitfall that I've seen from people who are finishing their residency training is that transitioning into being a new practitioner. I think that they tend to stay at the same pace that they were using for um, as residency training. And that's a problem because that's not a sustainable pace that you can have for the next five, 10 years or whatever time frame you're looking at. And that's important. And unfortunately, because of the excitement they have for their professional goals, they, they overlook their own personal goals. And so it's important to remember to think about that and not prioritize 
just your professional goals. While those are still important, it's also important to think about yourself and making sure that you're prioritizing time for your own personal goals that you have. And so, and then also make sure that you identify a mentor to make sure that they're keeping you accountable and making sure that you actually are going to achieve those personal goals because you don't, it's, that's the other challenge after you finish your residency training is you don't have that easy mentor to go to or your program director who's overlooking everything you're doing. And so that could be challenging too. I think it's really great that you brought up um, the unsustainable pace that some of these residents are going at and going into these first roles as a new practitioner outside of residency. Because I feel like some of us are just going 100 miles an hour starting out with residency, keep up that pace through the entire two years. And then as we're going out, some of us try to keep up with that pace. And that's taking into consideration that we're no longer having all these constant topic discussions and case presentations and journal clubs. However, some people, especially if they stay on at the same institution, they know that leadership's seen them going at that pace. So they have that expectation of themselves and think that others have the expectation of them that they have to continue on at that pace. And that's not sustainable as you were saying. So I think we need to learn which professional priorities we need to have, but then also to take a step back and realize that we need to make ourselves a priority too. So I know that we've gone over a whole lot so far, but what do you think is the best advice that you received regarding well-being and how has that advice shaped the way that you work? It's really, uh, this is kind of like a big one for me because I, as I was mentioning before, I tend to, I, I, I was definitely a big vendor of going at that same pace after I finished training and thinking I had to finish this by next year. And then I was also thinking about the next three to five years, right? Because that's kind of how they ask you during residency interviews or job interviews. What do you see yourself doing in the next five to 10 years? So I would think I had to figure everything out in the next five years, what I needed to accomplish. And now I'm, I'm now at the 10th year mark of my career after finishing training. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what am I supposed to be doing for the rest of my life? And so what I believe, uh, what's the biggest advice I found was that not planning everything by deadline over the next year or two years, like you do in residency training. I think we got that mindset because the training programs are usually one year in length or two years in length. And that's the important part. So don't plan for the next five years only when you're starting in a career out after finishing training. You have to remember you have 40 years left of your life uh, to uh, probably, or maybe even more or less, depending on what your interests are in practice uh, after you finish training. But one here, point here is don't just plan for the next year or the next five years. Don't set these arbitrary deadlines just because you're like, oh my gosh, I was doing this in resume training. So I surely I should be able to do this now. But that's the problem. Your energy is going to change and your focus is going to change. You're going to have different priorities. You may be interested in having that family life or whatever it is, or being able to travel the world, whatever it is that you decide you want to do. So you have to make sure to think about that when you're setting your priorities. So my advice is not to plan just for the next year or three years. So thinking about the rest of your life and the back of your mind. I don't know what I want to do for the rest of my life, but I'm fine with that. I just know that I don't have to finish everything in the next year. I have plenty of time to figure that out here. 
So really, I think the other thing is don't compare yourself to other colleagues. That's going to be the last thing I want to mention here. Is it's important to recognize that each person is going to be so different. They have different professional and personal goals. So just because someone else published three articles this year doesn't mean that I need to do the same if I'm really more passionate about being in leadership and wanting to help residency and fellowship training. And so it's important that I think about the balance of that depending on my different interests. Absolutely, I think that's a really wonderful perspective to have. Um, I know something that I try to keep in the back of my mind is that I am in healthcare and it creates inherently this never ending to-do list, right? Because there's always patients that are in the hospital. There's always patients taking medications or even patients that are out there just making health decisions that you're responsible for taking care of. And you want the best for these people and you wanna do as much as you can for them um, being a, a healthcare provider. So it's, it's really tough to consider and consider what you want your to-do list to be and what your responsibility really is. And it's so important to trust working with your colleagues and making sure that you can unwind and can let go a little bit from time to time because you can't take the best care of patients if you're never focusing on yourself. You have to take care of yourself first so that you can put your best foot forward as a healthcare provider. Um, and I think this is even more important for preceptors because you are a model for these students and these learners, and you show them what it looks like to be a successful practitioner who has a good work-life balance. So keeping that in mind, um, I think is the most important advice that you can take away. So that is all the time we have today. So I wanna thank Austin and Sandeep for joining us today to discuss strategies to maintain well-being and resiliency as a preceptor. Join us here at, at ASHP Official and the Practice Journey podcast as we learn about how our members seek out, grow, and evolve during their careers. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.